While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Hey, good morning. Hey, welcome to Uptown Church. Don't mind me, I'm just playing Jenga over here. Um, How many of you like games? How many of you would say you are good at games? Like really good. Okay, I grew up in a very competitive family. Um, Four girls, you would think we were all meek and mild and soft and kind. No, we were not. And we swore off the game of Monopoly, you know, because that's such a dangerous game. How many of you like Monopoly? How many of you have ever gotten a throwing the pieces fight with your family over Monopoly? Okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah, we have sworn off to this day, still 20 years later from the incident, that we will not play Monopoly in my family because it was... We just couldn't handle the competition. And what, when I think about my life, I, that's kind of a pivotal moment, not just a silly moment in my life, but a thing that I often think of in terms of the life I try to live today. It reminds me a lot of playing Monopoly that day, getting upset when it all didn't go right, and the way in which we played games as kids that seemed to follow us into real life. The way we, we sought to win, the way we sought to stack the deck in our favor, and then it didn't work out. Anybody know what I mean? We're starting a series today, The Games We Play, and if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Joy Gonzalez, and I'm the campus pastor here at Uptown Church, and it's so good to see you. This uh, time of the year, this back-to-school season for many, is kind of a reset in a lot of our city's rhythms, and it's no different in church. We kind of reset in going back to church, and I love this season in life because we remember kind of what church is all about. We, our lives can be complicated, our lives, we can struggle, but we know Jesus can make our lives better. And it's because, not because Jesus gives us some easy way out of life as it is, but because Jesus helps make us better at life. And so that's what we're looking at in this series, Games We Play. Would you take a minute and pray with me as we get started this morning? Gracious and loving God, we come to you this morning. God, and we realize that so many of the games we played as kids and so many of the ways we tried to win at the silliest of things when we were younger have still followed us into the complexities of our adult lives. That sometimes it feels like we're still trying to play games to win at the game of life. But God, in this next few minutes together, God, would you do what only you can do? Would you speak to us in a new way? Would you open our minds and our hearts, God, to get past the games, to get past the barriers we put up in our life, to be truthful and honest about who we are and what our life is so that, God, you can show us the way to peace and love and joy and hope. 
It's in your name we pray all of these things. Amen. So many of us, I think, try to live our lives a lot like the game of Jenga. Many of us, I think, try to stack our lives in such a way that all of the pieces fit together, that we've got control over the game. If you're not familiar with Jenga, Jenga is where you have 54 pieces and you stack it in this beautiful tower and your goal is to mix and move pieces and rebuild the set all the while, hoping it doesn't fall apart. Because if it all falls apart, what happens? You lose. And I think that's how we try to live our lives. We try, to, we try to build it in such a way, you know, we think there's a timeline for our lives. Hey, go to college, get a good job, maybe get married, get a house, 2.5 kids and a dog and a half. And then we're winning at life. Or we try to climb the corporate ladder and this position leads to the next position and the next position. If we can just keep stacking it and get it perfectly in line, all will be well. But I don't know about you, but my life oftentimes doesn't go as perfectly as I have set out to build it. And I often find myself with missing pieces or it all falling apart. But here's the big idea for today. That's the truth of our lives, is that no matter what, no matter how we stack the deck in our favor, chances are sometimes the pieces are still going to fall apart. But God has a plan through our failures and through our mistakes and our falls. That just because the pieces don't always stay lined up and perfect, God still has a plan for our life. Oftentimes we think when things fall apart in our life that that's evidence that God isn't really active in our life or God must not be working for us and so we abandon ship. Now that's been the story of humanity since the very beginning. And scripture tells us that if you go back to Genesis, have you heard that story in the beginning? In Genesis, we're given this picture, this story of the origin of humanity. That in the beginning, God created all things. That God created the birds of the air, the fish in the sea, this beautiful earth in which we live in, and at the pinnacle of that creation is humanity. And they are dwelling together in this perfect garden and perfect relationship with God and one another. Now, maybe you have heard that story and you're like, oh, man, I, I don't buy that story. Maybe Genesis and the story of the creation of the earth in terms of God creating everything in six days feels like a stretch for your modern mind. Let me give you a break. You do not have to take that story literally to take that story seriously. You do not have to believe that God created the whole world in just six days. You can, but you don't have to. In fact, when the first people, authors of scripture, set out to tell us the story about the origin of humanity, their goal was not necessarily to give us some historical account of our first moments on earth or to give us a scientific account of everything. Their goal was to make a theological claim about the world. When they set out to write that story, they're trying to tell us something about who God is, who humanity is. And that's what that story is about. So 
If you've gotten tripped up with it not matching your science books that you grew up with, don't worry. You can take it literally, you can take it figuratively, and the story doesn't change. So in the beginning, we have these first people, humanity, and everything is perfect in their life. It's lined up a little bit like this. And everything seems to be working out for them. But God gives them one instruction. He says, you can care for the earth. I've made you in my image. Which not means, it doesn't mean they are gods, but they have the ability like God to bring about goodness in the world, to bring about further creation in the world, to tend to it and make sure it's good. But it also means they have the power and the ability to let it slip away. And so God, when God says, be like me, continue to tend to this good creation, he tells them one thing. He says, God took the human and settled them in the Garden of Eden to take care of it. The Lord commanded the human, eat your fill from all the garden's tree, but, always a but, right? But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because on the day that you eat from it, you will die. God gives them one command, one thing that they cannot do, and everything will work out for them and be okay. You know the plot twist that's coming, right? Even if you've never heard that story, you know, oh, it's about to get shaky up in there. And this is what happens next. There was a snake. And the snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? Now, we don't know if this snake is a literal snake. Some scholars say this snake represents this um, manifestation of Satan in, in the world. Some scholars say that the snake simply refers to the doubt in which is creeping up in this woman and, and hindering her relationship from God. Whatever it is, it is nudging her to distrust what she's been told before about this goodness she finds herself in. And so the woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. And the woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And it gave some to her husband and who was with her and he also ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of God walking in the garden and they hid themselves from God in the middle of the trees and God called to them and said, where are you? And the man replied, we heard you walking in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. And then God said to them, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said, what have you done? And she said, well, the snake tricked me and then I ate it. Here we have this couple 
the beginning of all humanity and the very beginning story of all of us. And they've been given this perfect, ordered world to live in. Nothing out of place, except God tells them, if you do this one thing, it will mess up the whole thing. You have the ability to be like me, to dwell in this goodness. But, and what do they do? They pull out the one thing, and it all falls apart much like many of my Jenga games. And they find themselves all of the sudden in the aftermath and wake of their doubt of God, of their falling and their failure, where many of us find ourselves at many times in our lives. And what strikes me about the woman is her questioning of God is not unnatural. Her desire is not unnatural But the way in which she goes about feeding her desire is what begins to pull it all apart. And how often is that true for you and I? We start with something that's good. We have a question of God. But instead of going to God, we we listen to the opinions maybe of others. And we, we isolate ourselves. Or... We have a desire, we want more companionship and love in our lives, but maybe we seek it out in ways that are unhealthy and unwhole. Or life is complicated and stressful, and so we look to ways to cope, but then we find ourselves at the end of another bottle, one more drink, one more substance, one more thing that we're stuck in a trap of, and before we know it, it begins to fall apart. That's where these first humans, Adam and Eve, find themselves. But that's not where the story ends. See, you would think that at the beginning of all things, that that would be the end. They've disobeyed God. It's all over. And sometimes we feel the same way. That when stuff begins to fall apart in our lives, or maybe we have disobeyed or God and sin, that then it's all over, that that's the end of the story. But that's the beginning of the story. Remember, this is the very beginning. The very beginning of the story. It doesn't end here because God still has a plan even in the midst of their failures and falls. What is incredible to me is that God does, if you read on in the story, you hear that God does send them out of the garden. They have to deal with the consequences of their actions, which means they can no longer live in this garden. But God doesn't just send them away. God goes with them. What we often miss in that story is that God doesn't simply leave them. God could, but God doesn't. Because God didn't create the man and the woman for rules. God created them for relationship. So where they go, God goes. And when they are banished from the garden, they're not banished from God's grace. And God follows them. What God does is he goes out with them and begins to pick up the pieces, begins to gather them and all of the pieces of their lives together. And it reminds me of my kiddos. 
I have two boys, and we have a sort of Eden in our house. Maybe if you have kids, you have one too. Our paradise is the playroom. And in the playroom, they have everything that they want. All their toys, all of their things, but there are rules that they have to abide by to, to live into the joy of that paradise, if you will. But when they act out of those rules, when they begin to be unsafe, we have to remove them from the space. They start throwing toys, they start hitting, you know, we gotta get them out of there. And they know that. But we don't send a screaming four-year-old by themselves across the house into their room. What do we do? What do you do? You go with the kid. And we walk out of their Eden, out of their paradise with them. And we walk with them broken and upset and devastated and swirling in the mess of their own making, and we don't leave them. And that's the same thing God does with Adam and Eve. He doesn't leave them. He could stop the story right there. But he doesn't. And the incredible thing that we see is that God gets to work almost immediately beginning to put all of the pieces back together. See, God says to the snake, because you did this, because you tricked Adam and Eve, you will be cursed. I will put contempt between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and they will strike your head, but you will strike their heels. This is kind of a cryptic passage in scripture, but it's simply, we know, is a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus that the offspring will be Jesus later coming as God in the flesh, as human born of a woman to take care of the mess began long ago. From the very beginning, God has a plan and God puts it in motion and declares, you are not finished. Your fall, your failures, your mistakes is not the end of your story or this story. There's a guarantee for us in life when we look at this story that you will fall down. You don't get to put together the Jenga set without it falling once or twice, if not many times. But the promise of God is this, is that you can get up and be remade. That God can put all of the pieces back together again. So when you find yourself in the same place as Adam and Eve, what do you do? The first thing I think we have to do is when we fall is we have to be confident in God's grace. We have to know that God has not left us, that we might be sitting amid all of our broken pieces, but we don't sit there alone. That God is with us and God will do what only God can do in bringing the pieces together. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, he overcame sin and death that we would not have to be buried by them. I love the way the Apostle Paul says it. He says it to the church in Corinthians. He says this, so if you are in Christ, then you are part of the new creation. And he uses that language of Genesis because he's saying what God started in the beginning with the very first creation, God is still doing. He didn't stop there when it got messed up. He's still bringing about a new creation in you. 
And you're not left out of that, no matter how many mistakes you've made. The old things in your life, they have gone away. And look, because Christ has arrived in your life, so the new things too have arrived. And all of these things come from God, not from your own doing, not from your own willpower, but they come from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then, and this is what makes the church, all of us together so special, then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation to not only receive it for ourselves, but then to live into that, to live and love like Jesus. So then we go out and tell the world, you're not as lost as you think you are. You might be wandering in your life, but do not think for a second God doesn't see and know you. We've been entrusted with the message of God's reconciliation that broken things can come back together. He goes on and he says, in other words, God was reconciling all of the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. He has made us his ambassadors to represent Christ. And God is negotiating with you through us. And so we beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. Live in the grace offered you. God caused the one who didn't know any sin, who didn't know any brokenness to be sin on our behalf so that we could become the very righteousness and goodness and full creation of God. When we fall, we can be confident that God's grace is with us and is still working to bring about good in our lives. But I think there's something else we can do and we see in this story, and maybe you caught this, is that when we fall, we need to avoid the blame game. Because so often what we do when something goes wrong in our lives is we look around us as to whose fault is that. You know what, they were never committed to the relationship. You know, I gave all of my time to that company and my supervisor never even bothered to pay attention to my work. You know what, my kids, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my mom, my dad, we look to everybody else. But when we do that, we miss out on the grace that's right in front of us. See, that's the catch with the blame game. As we think blame in other people is gonna take away the shame that has overwhelmed us. But that's not the case. What blame does is keeps us from avoiding the truth about what we have done but also the truth that God is still with us and God is for us. So when you fall, you have to avoid the blame game. You can't receive grace if you're blaming those around you. And finally, when we fall, we gotta come back to God. We got to come back from God. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They hid from God when they knew they messed up, when they knew that all of the pieces and parts were falling out of place. They went and hid because they, they didn't trust the grace and goodness of God. They weren't struck dead as they could have been. They weren't banished right away, but they were the ones who ran from God. And we do the same thing. We run. We think if we hide, no one will see our nakedness. 
God says, why did you hide? And they said, oh, because we were naked. And some of the most beautiful words of scripture ever written is God's response. He said, who told you you were naked? Who told you you had a shame so great you had to be hidden away? Who told you you could not be looked at? Who told you you needed to hide away? God said, I didn't. And God brings them out of hiding and covers them. When we fall, our only hope is to come back to God, to trust the grace that hasn't left us, to acknowledge what we have done and acknowledge that grace is in front of us and to remember that God and hopefully God's people, this church, the church, will not put us into hiding, but will cover us and clothe us and give us the chance for a new beginning. Friends, God has a plan through your failures and falls. Just because the life you've put together doesn't always work out the way you want it to, just because you mess up and you don't get it right, doesn't mean God's given up on you and that the story is over. See, we often want to define ourselves by our original sin, by our failure, but God defines us by our original blessing. God defines us as those he created in this world that can represent his goodness and his grace. And that did not change because of sin. So if you find yourself fallen today, get back up. If you formally, you've had a relationship with God, today is your day to reconnect in that. To say, God, I do not wanna hide anymore. I do not wanna blame anymore. I don't wanna run from you anymore. I wanna own my life and own that you are right here in front of me and you still love me. And maybe you've never had that relationship with God and today is the day you say, you know what? I I don't know all of what that means. I don't know all of what that looks like. Frankly, sometimes I get a little scared when I think about even being in church. But I wanna believe a better story for my life. I wanna be a part of the God who is writing a better narrative, not only for this world, but for me too. And so I'm gonna choose today to follow, to say yes to relationship with God. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.